Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderveld, your host today. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to this VPC live event uh, with the very wonderful Deanna Dale, who's back with us again. So, Deanna, welcome. It's lovely to have you with us again tonight. Great to be here again. Thanks for having me, Jackie. Um, also to tonight, uh, Deanna's presentation is really from a student perspective. And so if parents are on tonight, think about this as your coaching conversation, the way you can actually then speak with your, um, your young person who's prepping for exams. You're all living the dream. So here's some really uh, fantastic practical ways of helping them. So look, Again, Deanna, welcome. And, and look, I, she does so much. She's an academic coach, but really practical, practical things. So, Deanna, welcome. And maybe you just say a few words about you, who you are, and I'll hand over to you. <laughs> Where you thank going? you, Jackie. Yes, thank you. It's so great to be here again. So I'm Deanna, academic coach and founder at True Coaching. And really aim is to help students develop skills and strategies that they might not be picking up at school around time management, organisation, tests and exam preparation, and anything that they can really put in place to help maximise their results, but also minimise their stress. And I guess today's workshop comes from years of working with students, thousands of students, and seeing them go through this cycle of learning all their content, preparing for exams, and then showing up on the day, and all of those experiences that come with exam day. So today, I really wanted to speak to some of the things that students experience. So it will be through the student's perspective. Um, and as Jackie mentioned, so the conversation that I'll be having with you as parents or educators is the one that you could potentially relay to your students and your children. So um, we'll jump straight into it. And I really just guess I want to preface this by saying that while every student's experience is unique, um, I guess this is a summary of some of the most common things that we see. As a starting point, in terms of exam day, I want you to imagine that is the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. So what the students feel from the morning all the way through to the evening before the exam while they're sitting in the exam and after. And we've really come down to three main areas that tend to be areas for confusion or stress or, or a little bit of anxiety on the day of exams. And if we had to summarise them into these three areas, it would probably start with time management. <laughs> time management's everything from how, what you're doing before, how you're managing your time during, and then how you're managing your time after the exam. Seeking perfection seems to be a big one with students that they really want to make sure they do as much as they can to get the perfect result or, or get all of the marks they possibly can or execute the day seamlessly. Um, and that can sometimes get in the way. And then stressing out. So Stressing out can manifest in many different ways. It can be physical symptoms, the butterflies in the belly, the clammy hands, the foggy mind, or it can be the thoughts that are running through the, um, the student's head before, during and after. So what we really want to do today is go based on these three concerns that we know are really quite common with students on exam day, what can we do to combat this? So from this point, I'm going to jump in and basically speak to you as if you're a student so that you can learn exactly how to relay that advice 
through to them. Um, and if there's any students on board, I really do hope that you find the next part um, useful. So without further ado, we're going to start with the biggest um, concern on exam day, which really has to be managing your time during exams. So typically what we find is most students are okay with the preparation part. They're okay with learning all their content. They're okay with kind of knowing what they need to know, um, being confident that they're, they're on top of their definitions, their facts, their figures. But once they get in there, all the stress that um, accumulates on the day, all the pressure that comes with being in that room, the clock in front of you, the examiners walking the aisles, your perception of time is completely warped. When you think you're only spending a couple of minutes on a question, you might be spending 10 or 15. When you think you've got an hour left, you might only have 10 minutes. So managing the time during the actual exam is probably the number one thing that students uh, tend to struggle with on exam day. So I thought that I'd tackle the biggest elephant in the room first and start off with some really practical tips on how to manage the time during the actual exam. Now, it's worth noting that this structure applies to any type of exam that you do. Um, I do often get questions on does this apply to English with essays or does it apply to language or whatever it might, um, whatever exam might be happening. The model that I'm going to share is purely based on how can we get the absolute best result in the conditions that we're dealing with. So there's five steps that we can take. And these five steps are basically at every point in time trying to think how can we maximize the results where we are right now and accounting for worst case scenario as well. And I think one of the most important steps as a starting point and this really starts now for a lot of VCE students or any high school students going into exams is actually understanding how long each question should take you and this starts weeks before this starts in the study process having an understanding of the exams that are put together are typically have really specific allocated time spots so if the exam has 20 multiple choice questions, it's typically, uh, you're typically a lot of the time that is required to do 20 multiple choice questions or three extended responses the same or three essays, you'll get the time based on the questions. So in order to really be able to assess your skills, you really need to understand how long each question should take you. Now, there is a general rule and that is a mark a minute. So for every mark that the question is worth, it's about a minute's worth of work. But we've actually put a table together for you guys. I would recommend potentially taking a screenshot or a little snippet of this because it's a really useful tool for students to start using in the lead up to exams while they're studying so they can prepare for these time conditions during exams. So typical, typically multiple choice questions, you're looking at a minute to a minute and a half of work, um, work time, and they're typically worth roughly one mark. For short answer questions of one to three lines, typically two to three minutes. Long answer, which is your four to six lines, uh, four to six lines or four to six marks, generally four to seven minutes. An extended response, which is very typical of humanities subjects like legal, business, um, even psychology as a science, they typically have 10 to 15 mark questions at the end of the exam, and you should allow roughly 10 to 15 minutes. And then essays will vary significantly. They could have a lot more than 900 words, but an acceptable range would be around seven to 900 and about 45 to 60 minutes. But why is it important to know this? We can go into exams 
and decide arbitrarily how long you want to spend on a set of questions. But without objectively seeing and practicing and executing based on the allocated time, you could find yourself either undercooking it and not spending enough time on some of the larger questions that really require some deep thought, or the more common situation is overcooking it and spending way too much way too much time on some simpler questions and running out of time at the end. So step one really is to actually understand how long the questions should take you. And this actually starts before exams. It starts right now when you're doing these practice questions, putting a timer on and executing it. One recommendation that we have is getting a an actual timer. We use an analog egg timer so that the students don't have to use technology while they're practicing their exams. And just putting on the timer for five minutes to do a five mark question or one minute to do a one mark question really helps them understand the pace that they need to work at. And the recommendation is that they do start now because while they feel very confident executing based on the content, if it's taking them two and a half hours at home, they are going to struggle with a one hour exam or a 90 minute exam um, on the day. So step one, understanding how long questions should take you. So this is before exams. Now, step two is when you're sitting in the exam. The time's just started and you're allowed 15 minutes reading time before you actually start working. Now, students typically will use this time to read over the questions and one of a few things happens. Either they start hyperventilating because they've read a question that is difficult and now it's sent them into a, into a whole spin or they read them all and go, okay, fair enough, and then close the book and wait for the last six minutes to pass before they start. Or they start from question one and try to start answering it in their head and might not get all the way through during reading time. But there is a way to use reading time effectively. And this is really the start of the method. And that is you want to use it to prioritize the questions you will answer first. Now, how we determine that will come in the next step. But the point is that during reading time, it should be the process of reading all of the questions or as many of them as you can, and not exactly answering them all mentally, but recognizing whether the answers come easily or not. So recognizing whether the answers will come to you easily or not. And students will know this when they read a question, sometimes within the first 10 seconds, they'll go, that's what that question's about. Or they'll sit there for about a minute and a half and have no idea. So the reading time is really about understanding and prioritizing which questions you'll answer first. And that is the easiest questions. So in that prioritization process, what you're going to do is leave either a mental or a little strategic tip is if you dig your fingernail into the question um, that you find easy, it leaves a little indent for you, but you didn't hear that from me. Prioritize the easiest questions first. One thing students typically don't really register is that they don't have to do the exam questions in order. They can do them in any order they like. And then some students say, I want to get the hard one out of the way because I know it's hard and I know it's going to take me some time. But there is some logic to doing the easiest questions first. Now, if you recall at the start, I mentioned that these five steps are aimed at maximizing marks. And when we talk about an exam setting, maximizing marks means locking in as many marks as you possibly can before the time runs out. Now, the marks that we know we can lock in are the easiest questions. So if we're using an exam with an arbitrary number of questions, let's say 10 questions, it might be question two, four, and six that you find easy. 
you've identified that during reading time, and then they are the questions that you do. First, there's a couple of reasons we do this. One, locking in those marks early, but two, it also helps to build up momentum and confidence. Because if you're getting on a roll doing the first three questions that you feel confident with, that you know the answers to, all of a sudden that confidence and momentum is going to build as opposed to sitting on a question that you're unsure about and letting that doubt filter through. So we've prioritized during reading time and now we've started with the easiest questions first and we've got them out of the way. So what we've done so far is lock in the marks that we know we can get. The next step is actually to close the paper and take a breath. Now, students typically look at me funny here, but what can happen is if you're on a roll and then you jar it with going to a question that you find difficult, it can kind of put a halt in your step and um, pop your bubble almost. So what you've just done now is you've done all the questions you know, you've just exerted a whole lot of information, you're feeling confident, you're feeling good, you close the paper, you take a breath. And you actually repeat step three. So now you go through and do the next set of easiest questions. Now, in order to repeat step three, you do need to take a second to identify what they are. But again, what we're doing is at any point in time, we're locking in the marks that we know we can get. And this process should be repeated pretty much until all of the questions that you know the answers to are filled in. The question I get here is often, well, if I've done the easiest questions, aren't the rest of them just hard? What happens in our wonderful brains when we're working away is the answers to some of the easy questions actually open up the pathways in our mind to some of the more complex information that just needs to be triggered. So by doing those easy questions, letting that information flow, you're actually activating some of the more complex memories and recall in your mind by allowing that momentum to build. And you've got to remember that along the way, we picked up that confidence and that confidence is going to make some of those more difficult questions seem a little bit easier this time around. So you close the paper, you breathe and you go back to step three and you repeat this process until what you're left with is the hardest questions. Now these hard questions hopefully at this point might just be a couple of questions that you really haven't been able to crack just yet but at this stage what you can be sure of and this is the whole point of what we'd like to achieve is that if you do spend the next 10 minutes on these hard questions whether you answer them or not we're not leaving any marks on the table. So the marks that we can get, those easy questions, we know we've locked them away. We have know we've put them away. As I mentioned at the start, with a scenario with 10 questions, we might have done two, four, six, and then one, three, seven, and then eight and 10. And we've got this question five that we just can't figure out. At this point, if we've answered all of the rest, and we run out of time, we know that we've nailed all the rest of the questions. But what if we were doing them in order? Or what if we started with the hard question and then we spent too much time stuck on a question we couldn't figure out and now we've got four minutes to answer eight marks worth of questions that we actually know but we don't have time to do. And that is a situation a lot of students find themselves in. When they stop and get stuck on a question and they spend too much time trying to figure it out, they lose a lot of time that they can't make up for after. So the students will walk out and they'll give me a call or send me a message. They're like, I just spent way too much time and I didn't answer the last two pages, but I knew the answers. What this method aims to do is to eliminate that. At any point in time, you're always locking away the marks that you know you can get. So this is our maximize marks method for time management during exams. Now, every student's going to go in with some preconceived ideas of what they should do. 
some big don'ts. Uh, don't assume you're going to find the multiple choice easier than the short answer. Don't assume you're going to find the argument analysis essay easier than the comparative just because you have during practice exams. You need to go in in the intention of using the reading time to make those decisions and to prioritize because on the day you have no idea what's going to come. I really wanted to start with that because that's probably the more the more technical part of exam day and something that requires a lot of effort and planning. But if you practice this strategy during practice exams, it'll become a natural approach during exam day. And this has been a surefire way um, that we've seen in practice exams and in tests or SACs. We've seen this improve students' results by 10 or 15% just by getting more done in the time that they're they've got for the SAC and avoiding running out of time and missing out and leaving marks on the table. So this is probably one of my favorite exam day strategies. And that is how to manage your time. But one of the other problems that students have, and one of the reasons they can take too long on a question or spend too much time in one space is wanting to be perfect. So the next strategy is really about combating perfectionism. This typically comes with students who are really keen on on getting quite high scores but it's actually seen across the board where students think or they've decided that there is only one answer to the question or there is a perfect way to execute an exam. And what this can cause is some some doubt in how they're actually answering it on the day, but also can stall them and, and make them take a lot more time than they should in pursuit of this perfect response. So this is short and more theoretical, and it's a lot more about the mindset they have going in but there's three things that these students really should remember when they're going into the exam and first of all is that there is no such thing as a perfect answer now with the exception being maths typically where one plus one equals two for most other subjects everything from your your hard sciences through to your humanities there is no one perfect response when perfect sequence of words for the students to get right it really is the best and closest interpretation of that information as long as they are hitting the key terms and key factors. So this pursuit for the perfect answer is something we need to advise against purely because it doesn't exist. So understanding that there's no perfect answer, but as long as they are hitting the main criteria, they will get the results is the first thing that we explain to students going into exams because particularly when they're marking them themselves, they'll often be a little too harsh because they haven't used the exact same word sequence as the answers that have been suggested. But it's worth reassuring them that it's not about an exact sequence. It's about showing an understanding of the information using the terms or the jargon for that subject. So just purely understanding that will hopefully help relieve some pressure. The next one is that examiners don't give you extra marks for pretty writing. Funnily enough, I have to have this conversation a lot more than I thought I would going into coaching. But when I'm working on practice questions with students, they typically say it's taking me a lot longer than I thought it would. And when we break it down, it's typically because they are trying to execute it in a way that's aesthetically pleasing, thinking that it's going to help them get better results. Now, the writing does have to be legible. You do have to be able to read it. The examiner has to be able to clearly identify the letters and ensure that it doesn't accidentally spell another word. But you don't get any extra marks for making it pretty. And while it shouldn't be something that they think about, it definitely is something that affects students' speed 
during exams. And the final thing is based on the exam limits is it trying to stick to the time limits for each question. Now, this one's a little bit trickier during the exam because you don't want to look up every two minutes to make sure you're on track. But trying to have some milestones or some checkpoints throughout the exam to say that, you know, at this point, I should have completed roughly this amount of questions. That's really going to help you push past the need to make it perfect or add extra words or you know, put love hearts on your eyes or whatever it might be. It's really going to help you stay on track by understanding that at this time we have to be at a certain point. And I guess the main takeaway from all of this, why is this important? Why is this even on the slide or as a strategy is from purely a maximizing marks perspective, which is what this whole presentation is about, how to get the most marks in the most calm and least stressful way. They need to remember that answering 100% of questions and getting 80% of them right will always be better than answering 70% of the questions and getting them 100% right. If we're purely looking at numbers and statistics, you are better off finishing the exam and not getting it quite perfect than getting 70% through and getting every answer correct, but missing out on the opportunity to answer 30% of the questions. So once we articulate this to students, this is typically what makes the penny drop and makes them go, okay, I need to put something on the paper for every answer. This also, there's one little extra tidbit that comes with this 100% completion idea. And that is sometimes the students get to the point where there's five minutes left, they've got one question and the information is just not coming to them. It, they, they can't seem to articulate what they're trying to say. No ideas or concepts are coming to their mind. We would always advise never to leave a question blank. When in doubt, define. <laughs> that's, our, that's our little tip for most students. If you're absolutely in doubt of, if you've got absolutely no clue how to answer the question, but you've got time to put something down on the paper, Pick the key term from the word and define it. Most of the time, that's actually going to be the first mark. The first mark is going to be allocated to defining a certain term or, or framing the question. Um, but our tip is to never, ever leave a question blank. If you've got time, you're better off writing something um, for the opportunity to potentially get one out of four marks or, or two out of five. So um, reminding students that they're better off finishing the exam than not finishing it is probably one of the key drivers to make sure that they're staying on pace. I guess the, the first two parts of this were, were slightly more technical, how to manage your time, some statistics around perfectionism, but then there's the intangible experience of exam day, and that is the stress. It's the stress, the anticipation before you go into the exam. It's the stress during the exam while you're sitting there that feeling in your tummy when you see a question that you don't understand when you've read so much that your mind starts to get foggy that's during and then after did I do well how did I do all of these things not technical there's no one two three here are the steps to resolve it but there are a few things we can put in place to help reduce the effects and the impact from both a physical mental and emotional aspect now, the three main types of, I guess, stressors or, or um, concerns that students have or ways that stress manifests is one, catastrophizing. I don't know anything. This is going to be the hardest exam. 
I've got no idea what's going on and it just seems to be the end of the world and if I fail this I'm gonna fail school and and these really large kind of statements of catastrophe which is typically um, enhanced with a herd mentality so we're going to talk about how to combat that feeling nervous is natural you know their whole year or their whole 13 years of schooling but more specifically their whole year and their last few weeks has come down to just this day so that feeling of nervousness and then the doubt the doubting everything they've done up until this point there's the doubting that they've done enough doubting that they're able doubting that they're capable all of these things come through so i guess the next step is i'm going to give you five little strategies to share with the students and a little tip that this is also good for adults and any person going into a a situation a presentation a meeting um, that might seem a little bit nerve-wracking a little bit scary feeling in the belly here's just some tips to kind of bring those stress levels down and, and increase your focus so the first step is to minimize stress before an exam or before you're going into this major event and some of the things that might be crossing the student's mind is is a lot of that catastrophizing um, before and during and the nervousness and the have I done enough and what if I cram a little bit more or what if I've missed something or, or, or what if this is on it or what if this isn't on it? And it can be quite stressful and there's a lot of things going on in the mind. So some of the steps that we encourage students to take and some of them more obvious than others is don't forget the basics. A lot of students wake up in this stress zone and they're already so high strung that they forget to eat or they rush to the exam or they're filling themselves with energy drinks or whatever it might be. And they sometimes even forget to use the bathroom. And you'd be surprised how many students tell me that I got into the exam and then I realized I needed to go to the bathroom, but you can't take your bathroom break within the first half an hour. So they were sitting there for the first half an hour, not being able to concentrate because of their need to go to the bathroom. So typically doing the basics is something that well, parents and teachers and encourage as well as the students needing to remember on the day try to eat a hearty meal now I won't go too much into the nutrition of it but you really want to avoid the sugars too close to the exam because every high comes with a low so even while they might have caffeine or a coffee or a v or or something really sugary or an any any energy any energy drink really if they have that right before they go in chances are about 90 minutes into their two and a half hour exam they're going to start coming down and that coming down comes with a lack of focus and a lack of concentration so eating something hearty which means filling but hopefully not too filling um, which is why we've got one hour before because we've all experienced food comas and the last thing you want to do is be sitting in that exam while your body's trying to digest the food. So eating a hearty meal, balanced regardless of your diet preference, something balanced, something that's going to satiate the student and something at least one hour before to allow your body to digest and drinking water, very important. We're going to talk about water as as a, a contributor during the exam. And make sure they use the bathroom. It seems like a silly reminder, but it's it's just something that can reduce the stress on the day. Do not forget the basics. The next thing is to have a routine or ritual. Now, this comes from a pretty high-performance space sort of mentality. All high-performing students, speakers, trainers will typically have some kind of routine or ritual that puts them in the right mindset to be able to tackle the task ahead. Now, the routine 
or rituals, something that they should be practicing during their practice exams to try and condition themselves. But I want you to explain it as something that gets them in their elevated, happy state. So to be a little bit vulnerable here, before all of my presentations, I have a sing and a dance. I've got to sing, I've got to dance, I've got to let my lungs fill with air, I've got to get my energy and my vibration up and I've got to be in a happy state going into a presentation to be able to present at my best. So I've got a routine and a ritual that I follow every time I do a presentation. Now for students, this could be singing or dancing. It could be going for a walk. It could be having a chat with, with a parent. There might be something they particularly enjoy doing. It could be a particular meal they have. It could be egg, bacon and hash browns for breakfast. But having a routine or ritual that helps mark the start of an exam and helps get them in an elevated, happy state is going to be really important. It needs to be unique to them and it needs to put them in that elevated state of, of happiness. So that's another way that you can minimize the stress and the nerves by doing something familiar that you know is putting you on the right track. The next is deep belly breathing. So as you get closer to the exams, your body or your, your sympathetic nervous system tends to kick in and you start to go into survival mode. This is the equivalent of that fight or flight response because there is some perceived danger. Now, while we know the exams are not dangerous, to us at that point, they are the most immediate danger that we're experiencing. So our body goes into um, overdrive and that's the sweaty palms, that's the feeling in the belly, that's the potentially feeling quite stiff and, and moving around and pacing. All of that comes from the nervousness of exams. So one way that we can wind down our nervous system is with some deep belly breaths. Now we typically recommend the four by four. So that's breathing in for four, holding for four, breathing out for four, and then holding for another four and repeating that until you physically feel your heart rate go down and your mind starts to clear. So one way, a little symbol that we use to help the students as well, which is quite common is Breathing in for four, up the square, holding for four, down for four, go out for four and hold for another four. And just keep doing that until those feelings in your belly and your brain start to calm down. Now, the reason we call it deep belly breathing is because your superficial sort of breathing in and out aren't necessarily going to help. So what you want to do is put a hand on your belly and feel your belly button push out in front of you and really fill up all your lungs with air. Not only is this helping your nervous system, but it's actually also circulating a whole lot of oxygen through your body. And that's going to help with your brain, which loves oxygen and glucose. So deep belly breathing is to really um, calm all of those physical symptoms of nervousness. And this is you can read copious amounts of research on, on the benefits of breathing. And this is just one of the most simple ways. If they don't want to engage in, in the four by four, just simply some deep breaths will help them get aligned. Avoiding pre-exam chatter is probably one of the more important, but the more difficult ones for students to execute because they do want to be involved and they do want to get around it. But the confidence or the stress of other students can affect their state of mind. I typically say pick a buddy and agree on the fact that you're not going to talk about what you know and what you don't know and if you're scared or, or if you're confident because hearing other students' extreme confidence or inflated confidence 
might make you feel less confident than what you are. And then hearing other people's stresses might induce some stress that you didn't have. So really avoiding that pre-exam, I don't know, oh my God, this is going to be so hard. I haven't studied for this. I'm not prepared. Avoiding that and just trying to either not talk about that necessarily or talk talk with people in an encouraging, talk to your friends or your um, classmates who are going to have an encouraging tone about them going, we've worked hard, we're ready for this, just take a deep breath and go in. But ex- ignoring that kind of pre-chatter, stre- pre-exam chatter and stress is going to help you stay in your state of mind that you've created through your routines and your breathing. And finally, avoid intense study on the day. The worst thing you can do is try to do a full practice exam on the same day of an actual exam because something might come up, a question that you don't know, And the last thing you want to do is figure out you don't know something two hours before you are about to be examined on it. So on the day, if you do want to do anything, some light cue card work, some readings, maybe conversational learning might help, but try to avoid any intense study on the day. And for students who do experience stress, one thing worth remembering is that poor results don't necessarily cause stress but stress can cause poor results. If you're going in in a really anxious state, if you're going in without a clear mind, if you're going in with everyone else's stress as you walk into that exam, that's more likely to affect your results um, than getting results after and feeling bad about it. So just be really conscious of the fact that your state is going to affect your ability to perform. So that's all before you even get into the exam. So do the basics. Have a routine or ritual that you practice in the weeks leading up to exams. Some deep belly, deep belly breathing if you feel start to feel the physical symptoms and just avoiding any intense study or exam chatter and surround yourself with people that are in an encouraging state. What about once you get into the exam? Some of the stresses here is, well, what am I looking at? I never studied this. This is harder than I thought. I'm not going to finish in time. All of these questions start to come up in response to the question that you're seeing. Um, So these strategies are more about once you see those questions, first of all, use your reading time wisely. Now we spoke about this. How we use the reading time is to identify and prioritize the questions. One of the worst things that you can do in reading time is start thinking about all the questions you don't know and start thinking about all the things you didn't study and start really delving into that question that you're finding especially difficult because now you're starting the exam on a poor note. What you want to do instead is use the prioritization technique so that you can start straight away building momentum and confidence and avoid that sort of spiral downwards and and starting in a negative space. Next thing is to write cues on each page. Now, this is a little bit more of a practical trick, but one of the stresses, uh, stressors going into an exam is common mistakes that you might be making. So, for example, two really common mistakes are forgetting to put units. So in math questions or in chemistry questions or in physics questions, forgetting to put metres per second or kilograms or kilometres or whatever the unit might be. And the other one is forgetting to put quotes in their English essays. So one little trick that we use with our students is every time you turn a page as a involuntary sort of a really rehearsed step, write whatever that, uh, write a cue on the top of the page that helps eliminate that common problem for you. 
Now, this is something you also practice during your practice exams. Every time you turn a page, you write units on the top right corner before you've even read the questions. Now, what this is going to do, if it's a habit enough, it's going to hopefully come out naturally. But the second thing is when you're proofreading over your answers before you finish, you're going to see this big word that says units in the top right corner. And it's going to remind you that that's something you need to look out for. Whether you use these cues or not, having that safety net there is going to help lower that stress a little bit. So just to clarify, you pick an area that you know you commonly um, forget, or you commonly mess up on, a common mistake that's made. You find a cue word that helps you um, remember that that is the case, so units or quotes. And every time you turn a page in the exam, you just put it in the top right corner as a little reminder to yourself. But to make sure that this is a really ingrained habit, you need to start doing that now. So a lot of these skills that you can prepare in advance so that you're ready to use them on exam day. Stay hydrated. This, if you take anything from this whole presentation, it's the importance of water. Um, a 10% um, increase in dehydration can cause up to a 70% decrease in focus and concentration. 10% dehydration, 70% lack of concentration. So in an exam, your two best friends are focus and concentration. So as you can imagine, keeping those up is a really high priority. So making sure that you're hydrating, making sure that you're constantly sipping. The question I get is, I might need to go to the bathroom too much. Remember that you do have one bathroom break during the exams and remember to use it. Don't feel ashamed to use it. And hopefully, if you're managing your time, you can manage a two-minute bathroom break as well. But staying hydrated before and during an exam is one of the, one of the basics that is really going to be the difference between being able to focus and not. Deep belly breathing again. Um, in the exam, don't be afraid to just take a pause and actually do these deep belly breathing. Um, if you start to feel a feeling in your chest, sometimes your chest starts to constrict. If you see a question that's too difficult or your mind is racing really quickly and you're not able to actually pull the information that you need, stop and take a breath. It's only 12 seconds, well, 16 seconds rather. It's 16 seconds and it'll just really help calm you down. And if the breathing alone fails, close the paper and take two. Take two minutes, that is. Close the paper so you're not sitting there looking at the question. Close your eyes and just take a two-minute break. Two minutes might seem like a long time in an exam context, but 30 minutes stuck in a rut is a lot worse. Taking that two-minute break to close your eyes and really think about slowing down all those systems, taking a breath, just reassuring yourself that you've got this. It's just one question. I can get through it and, and centering yourself can save you 30 minutes of non-productive exam time. So if it gets to the point where you're overly stressed and you know that no work is coming out, it's been a few minutes and you haven't been able to put anything on the paper, make sure you're just closing that paper and taking a two-minute break. Reassure the students about um, the two-minute break to, to catch your breath or the two minutes to go to the bathroom is allowed for in the exam. There's a buffer and you're always better off taking that break if you need it rather than sitting in the state of, of non-productiveness. And then after you've walked out of the exam and one of a few things is going to happen, a huge feeling of relief, 
a huge feeling of elation and excitement that you knew it all and you finished all in time? Or did I get that question right? I didn't finish it in time. I didn't do enough. And a whole uh, combination of feelings of, I don't know if that was enough. I don't know what the result's going to be. Oh, that was wrong. I should have written that instead. And then what if I what if all the exams are this hard and you start to spiral into a into a situation where you're really not not conducive to a positive exam period? So some of the things you can do after an exam is to avoid post-exam chatter. The student's first instinct is to ask everyone, what did you get on this answer? What did you get on that answer? Or walk out going, oh, my God, that was so hard. That was much harder than I thought. Or another student saying, oh, that was so easy. I finished that I finished that early. That was amazing. And then going home and jumping on forums and jumping on Facebook pages where students are trying to guess what the answers are and communicating about it. This post-exam chatter, one, if, you're, if you were confident at one point, it might shatter that confidence. And two, if you're already not feeling that great and now you're hearing about all these different answers that everyone was getting, it can really um, put you in a state where you're, you're really not content with yourself. And remembering that often after an exam, you've got another three or four exams to go. So we don't want to lose that confidence so early. So just remember that no one knows who is right. So you could have four students arguing that they all got different answers. It's unlikely that anyone, any of the students know who is right. So it's not worth talking about answers or talking about what you got or talking about how you went. Just make sure to avoid those kinds of conversations. But it is a good time to reflect for yourself, particularly if you have a few exams coming up for two reasons. One, we know that reflection and self, um, kind of self-reflection in particular is really good for progressing and getting better. But two, you're going to have all these thoughts in your mind anyway. It's best that you write them down and pull them out of your head so you can move on. So some questions you can ask is what went well? What went well in terms of my preparation that came up in the exams? What went well in terms of my time management? What went well in terms of how I managed my my stress during that exam so you know to repeat it what do I need to do better on the next exam did I not manage my time as well as I can did I not use my reading time as well as I could have and how will I achieve this how will I get better next time just taking a couple of minutes to reflect is going to help one get all the thoughts out of your mind but two perhaps help you do a little bit better in the next exam coming up Third is what's done is done. Now, this is something that's a little bit harder and, and perhaps even as adults, some of us find it difficult, but acknowledge that no amount of stressing is going to change the results. This is typically a conversation I have with most of my students when they walk out. They're stressing that they miss this question or miss that answer or whatever it might be. And we just need to reassure them that, that no amount of stress, no amount of worrying is going to change your results now. But it's be careful. It, you've got to be careful not to perhaps be too condescending in, in the way that this is communicated. It's like, well, there's no point in stressing about it now. That can have the opposite effect. But just helping them recognise that they put the work in, the exam is done, and now their job is to relax and rewind uh, and wind down, sorry, as opposed to stressing about a result that they can't change. Taking a break is important. I've got some students that finish an exam and they want to rush straight into studying for the next one. But actually taking that mental break, um, allowing your body to come down from that elevated state, your nervous system is up, your concentration's up, your stress is up, just allowing it to really wind down. Take a few hours. Um, a few hours seems like a lot of time. 
but on a day where you've got an exam, it finishes at 12, make sure you're not doing anything till three. Just really take a break. And in that break, treat yourself. (laughs) Have your favorite meal, go shopping, hang out with your friends, watch a movie, reward yourself for the hard work that you've put in, but also allow yourself that hit of serotonin and dopamine and really enjoying what is typically the last couple of years of high school, but also the end of the exam period. So really um, allow your your body to uh, recalibrate the other way and start to increase your serotonin and dopamine. So before, during and after, hopefully one of the trends that you're picking up on is reducing all of the physical symptoms of stress, reducing the clutter in the mind, the clammy hands, the feeling in the belly, the constriction of the chest, reducing all of that with some breathing, some pausing, some avoiding negative stimulus, but then also getting ourselves in an elevated state before with our routines and our rituals and after by treating ourselves that's really going to help for the most balanced approach on the day. And a final note for parents. We know that you want the best for the student and we know that you want to make sure um, that they're doing their their absolute best at any point in time, but avoid asking 20 questions. And some questions you really want to stay away from is how did you go and did you know everything or how do you think you went? All of these questions, trying to get them to assess how they went or their capabilities or or you trying to get an understanding of whether they went well or went poorly. This is, if they're having any kind of internal doubts or or feelings of um, incompetence or anything like that 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 might be experienced, this can just be exaggerated by those questions. If they come to you and open the conversation, that's great, but try to avoid inducing that conversation with these aggressive questions. Instead, try a more supportive approach. A question, an open-ended question that you could ask is how are you feeling? Not how do you feel about the exam, just how are you feeling? And see how they respond. They might say tired, they might say good. And then is there anything I can do for you? Um, it might help to know that you've prepared their favorite meal or or that you watch a movie with them or something that helps them feel just a little bit more comfortable, but you want to be there in the supportive sense. If they are feeling really poorly, they'll either don't want to talk about it or they'll open up to you and start talking about it anyway. And if they are feeling really good about it, they'll do the same. They'll typically come home and say, I smashed it. I'm feeling really great. Then celebrate with them. If they say, if they don't talk about it much, or if they say, start getting upset about how they went or how they think they went, that's when you really just need to be there to say, okay, well, what can I do? Do you want to just watch a movie? Let's just wind down. Do you want to just relax? And really help them to bring down that anxious and that upset state as opposed to adding, going, why do you feel that way? Or what happened? Or, you know, do you think you did well? Or do you think you passed? We really want to avoid those sorts of questions. So in summary, reducing physical symptoms, Um, and elevating a state of mind and the positive mindset that combined with some of the practical strategies around managing time and um, moving away from this idea of the perfect responses hopefully creates a conducive environment for exams and that is what we had for today 
So hopefully, I'm not sure if any questions came through, but we do. We do have one. Oh, Dana, thank you so much. That was just such an amazing, uh, <laughs> such an amazing presentation. I genuinely wish that I had had these notes when my mine were going through. So, um, so parents, and also as an ex-chalky, I can tell you this is exactly the sorts of things that um, that teachers do try to to. Uh, impart to their students so there you go you've got it in, a, in a nutshell from Deanna which is fantastic so thank you um Deanna we, we've got look you've you've actually answered I was still tracking through with the, as the questions are coming through and I'm going oh, oh we've answered that we've answered that but there is one here and I know this does happen when we've got two exams on the same day yeah so I uh, look I think what, what can they do if they've got a break leaving one behind and then getting ready for the next one it may not be that long in between the, the actual exam yeah so the smallest break is typically around 90 minutes between um, exams and I think a similar thing applies to the before and the during I guess the after is you can't really run away and and start watching movies and stuff but I think it's worth one, just letting, allowing that wind down and doing something enjoyable in between. Because you've got to remember, we prefaced it by saying not to do too much intense study on the day anyway. So mm. I'll probably go with what to avoid. What to avoid is going straight from one exam, dive into more practice questions and trying to get back into the next exam. Um, rather, I'd make sure you take a very solid break prepare having prepared something you enjoy if you've got two exams back to back you will need to eat you will need to drink you will need to go to the bathroom you probably need to go for a walk because you've been inside a room so make sure you're giving yourself at least that 30 minute really um eating walking drinking and then repeat that pre-exam cycle again go back into your routine or your ritual it might be you're singing you're dancing you're talking to someone um avoiding the chatter and getting back into it it's one of those things that ideally they wouldn't have two exams on the same day but it will happen yeah. um but the print the the only thing that changes is between exams you can't don't let yourself fall too far out of that exam zone but mm. also don't fill it don't let it be one continuous sort of stream of stress or anxiousness if you are in that state make sure you're taking that moment to breathe in between hopefully that answered the question I think you have. That's lovely. Uh, there's a question here. Can you go back, please, and go through some of those points again post-exam? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all is when walking out of the exam, avoid the conversations that most students are having around, what did you get for this one? Or um, what answer did you get for this? Or that was so easy or that was so hard because you're already having your own internal dialogue and being influenced by other dialogues is probably not what you need in that moment. Um, the best thing I do is encourage students to, to find a buddy, find a buddy that um, knows what they what kind of conversation is needed before and after. So before it's, we've prepared, we're ready for this, let's do it. And after it's, that's great. We did it. Let's just calm down. Let's go have a bite to eat and let's wind down as opposed to engaging with what'd you get for that one? What'd you get for this one? Um, it can really cause some stress and some doubt. Um, the reflection is probably something that some students will take really well to and others won't. But I think if there is a thought, if there's thoughts running in their mind about what they should have done or what they should do, 
as opposed to sitting with it and, and lingering on it, just taking five minutes to write it down um, is going to pull it out of their brain, but also they can pull it out next time they're doing their studying and remind themselves what went right and what went wrong. The what's done is done is more of a something they need to embody. And it's like I said, it's something that adults even struggle with. It's hindsight, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing and all of those cliches, but just knowing that no amount of stress now is going to change the results. So instead, let's just acknowledge what either it went well or it didn't go well. We can't change the past results, but potentially what can we do maybe to, to avoid feeling this way again? But just really reassuring them that that the high intensity state, because sometimes students will finish the exams and feel that way until results come out. They'll stay in that elevated state of what's going to happen and did I get the score and did I get this? And just reassuring them that this time's going to pass whether you're in a stressed state or not. Would you rather be stressed or would you rather be calm? And then there's taking the break and treating yourself. So we spoke about this. If you have another exam immediately after, a few hours probably becomes 30 minutes, but it's still important that you bring yourself down from that elevated state for a little while just to let your mind calm down. And then treating yourself is your, your body's been in this survival mode and you almost want to switch it to relaxation mode. So treating yourself with something like a movie or a food you enjoy to, to elevate that serotonin and dopamine again, which are generally suppressed during times of survival and, and kind of concentration. So hopefully that clarifies those ones. I think that has. Thank you. Now, there's a question here. Um, uh, during reading time, uh, um, rulers... They can't, you can, they're not allowed to use rulers or have a pen in their hand or anything. They're really. not allowed to have anything in their no, hand. No. Um, you can, I recommend um, if students are typically the type to, to have trouble comprehending questions, using their finger is a big one. It directs their eyes to, to be able to read, yep. um, particularly if you've got case studies or articles. Generally speaking, using your finger to read increases speed and comprehension. So um, your finger is your best tool. You may have noticed I added a little bit of a little bit of a tip in there about the indent with the finger. Now that's a cheeky one, but it does help students feel like okay, I've got this and I'm in control. Mm -hmm. Just putting a little indentation next to the questions that are going to start, but you're not allowed anything in your hands. Yeah, oh, there you go. So, so the, the anonymous parent who asked that one <laughs> answers no. <laughs> they yeah. can't have anything. <laughs> Um, Dana, I think we've answered everything. So um, wonderful. That was just a sensational presentation. And we had a lovely comment from someone who's on the call who's a, um, she's a child and adolescent psychologist and her tips are fabulous for her year 12 clients. So she's, uh, she, she's obviously taking notes. So thanks so much for that, um, that endorsement. Um, yeah, she's very much on the money, um, <laughs> which, which is good. I believe that for, for those asking to see the slides, I've put yes. all of this information in the handout that'll come out if you read um, if you fill out the form after this presentation. That's right. That's right. So you've just, everything that's on the slides will be on the handout. Fantastic. So Deanna's um, referring to the survey that will pop up at the end of this, uh, this session tonight. So please take a few minutes just to fill that in for us. It helps us not only just to, you know, to get a sense of how valuable the, these sessions are but also to it helps us to um, find out you know what other things that you're interested in as well so um, you know we we do have quite a, a library of uh, webinars and recordings and podcasts available now um, and Deanna will be back with us next year I think we've got you 
I think we're talking about booking you for next year, which will be wonderful. So you can never have too much of this. And can I just say a lot of what Deanna talks about is structured style. Um, and it's a, it's actually a protective factor in people's well-being and resilience. You can never have enough of it. So I think there's always a good, it's always a good time to be having a discussion about how you approach these things in a very um, organised and systematic way. So Deanna, thank you so much for your time tonight. My pleasure. Thank you for everyone watching and the questions and to you, Jackie. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? Please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sydney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.